Elias from their 1980 debut album Universal Man. That's Johnny Clegg and Juluka, a groundbreaking multiracial South African band that launched the career of an African music giant, Johnny Clegg. He was a visionary, a witness to history, an activist and songwriter and performer of boundless energy. His death in July 2019 was a loss felt around the world, but the work he left behind is sure to be loved by generations to come. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. This edition, remembering Johnny Clegg. Afropop had the honor and pleasure to interview Johnny some seven times over a 30 years span. And today, We track his journey in his own words, starting with an early song contemplating an old age that Johnny would never know. When did the time, time, time go? My old eyes can hardly see The green fields leaving me behind I worked the earth and turned the clay With a strong heart and steady hand Seasons wheeled across the sky I turned around and found that I was old Juluka was born during the violent final decade of apartheid in South Africa. But for the most part it was a high-spirited, even joyous band rooted in the lifelong friendship between Johnny and his Zulu age mate, singer-songwriter Sipom Chunu. I love that, Juluka. Well, we naturally associate Johnny Clegg with South Africa, but in fact, he was born in England. In Littleborough, near Manchester. My mother divorced my father when I was six months old. I went to Zimbabwe when I was about a year. I arrived in Johannesburg when I was seven. And then when I was 10, I went to Zambia for two years. School there, and then came back when I was about 11, 12. My stepfather basically brought me up because I didn't have a father up until the age of seven. He was a journalist and he was crazy about Africa, but in a very contradictory way. He was a romantic, somebody who loved the tribal life or the tribal peoples for the incredible color and texture. The concept of the noble savage, I think he was really taken with that. He had a lot of African music in his collection and his favorite music was Quella music, penny whistle music. He was seeking, he was on a long journey, a spiritual journey of his own. And that kind of rubbed off on me. I thought I'd found the man of my dreams. My mother was a cabaret singer. That was always an environmental thing around me. However, I hated music. I hated singing. The last thing I wanted ever to do was to be a singer. My mother was crazy about jazz. She would sing and scat songs ad nauseum all the time. 
by the time I was 16, I hated jazz. I hated jazz because my mother could sing every single lick that Ella Fitzgerald ever sung. To turn me down and say, can't we be friends? So I got her back later on when I started learning Zulu guitar because a lot of the music is very cyclical. So you'd have that for hours on end, and she'd say, get out the house, you know, I can't take it. Boring, monotonous, crazy music, get out, you know. And I'd land up on the back roof, and I played on the roof. And then I would explain to her certain things, I'd say, but Mark, can't you hear this? She couldn't hear what I was hearing, and I realized that I was hearing things which she wasn't hearing. And that fascinated her. And then she started to listen more, and she said, Where's, where's it actually begin and where's it end and how does the melody work, etc. and what's it about? And so, after that, she also started to find it quite interesting. I'm like Johnny. I'm a fan of Zulu music, but hey, let's back up. The interview we are hearing was recorded on cassette, remember them? At Johnny's Johannesburg house in 1988, Johnny recounted the experience that changed his life his first encounter with Zulu music. The thing that attracted me about Zulu music was where it was played in the street. The guitar in the street has got a sound of its own. And it's a clue, it's evidence for something else. There's a people out there. Now, if you grow up in an apartheid society, you live in a white bubble. You're a kid of 12, 13, suddenly you get a clue presented to you in a way that you can't ignore. I went to a shop one evening, I was sent on an errand, and as I walked out, right in front of me, there was a guy playing guitar, and my eyes were level with him, and I saw the way he was picking, and I realized the guitar was tuned completely differently, and I could see the way he was playing it. The guitar had been reconceptualized for African music. The guitarist Johnny met was Charlie Mzila, and though they shared no language at that point, he soon became Johnny's Zulu guitar teacher. Then the bug bit me because he took me to what for me were like secret places, you know, the shabines, the gambling dens, the rooftop of apartment blocks where a lot of flat cleaners used to congregate because they were musicians, they were street musicians. None of them were recording. They just played music for the street, on the street. The music actually said that, it's crazy, but the music said, this is the street talking. And once it plays, it's gone and you'll never hear it again. The concertina as well is an interesting instrument because it cries. And the Zulu say, it says I'm here. Here I am, hear me cry. And in a society where you're not acknowledged, it's, it's another level of expression which you can't block because it's in the street, man, it's in the air. Then, of course, the next thing that got me was the dance. When I saw the dancing, I nearly died. The first time I saw Batka dancing, there were these 60 guys humming. I can play you some humming. Hang on. Apart from this clandestine life, young Johnny struggled in apartheid South Africa. I hated school. I bunked, which means I never went to lectures for a month and a half of school days. When I got my matric, it was a very, very bad matric. Um, I think the highest mark I got was a D for English. And I said, no, well, I'm not interested in going to university. I was very into ecology. I wanted to become a game ranger. So my mother and I had a bit of an argument. And so she said, look, try a year of university. If you don't like it, you can go and be a game ranger, no problem. So I tried and I registered myself for politics, 
social anthropology, English, and Zulu. Johnny was 18 years old when he enrolled at the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. And I failed the year, which really was a major shock for me. I passed Zulu with flying colors, but I failed all the rest. I think that was the turning point, because even up until that point, I was a very shy person. I was very inarticulate. I was absolutely articulate in Zulu. I went through a very powerful cultural withdrawal. I had withdrawn completely from white society. And when I got to university, in that year, I found a community. You know, I found white people who thought what I was doing was great and amazing and tremendous. And I got a lot of emotional support. So I repeated the year and I got better marks. And by the time I finished, I got the highest mark for 10 years in social anthropology and then lectured for four years. <laughs> amazing. As much as he enjoyed the sanctuary of the university, the street kept calling. And that led to the birth of Johnny's first band, Juluka, which means sweat. Along the way, Johnny had teamed up with a young musician called Sipom Chunu. Juluka came out of a 10-year period in the streets. After I met Charlie, I met Sipo. Sipo introduced me to his dance team. I changed styles. I learned a new style of dancing. Sipo was my age. He's my peer. We got on not because of the music. We got on because of each other. Basically, he was a loner. I was a loner. Had an incredible sense of humor. That sense of humor was a pillar of this unlikely friendship. Johnny delighted in Sipo's sense of fatalism and his ability to laugh at misfortune. No matter how much you plan and no matter how much you're in control, to fall from a position of control is far more funny than to fall from a position where you don't make a claim to control your environment. And so for him, He rejoices. I mean, he rejo when, he, when you hear a story that something happened, that something, for him it's another evidence of the fact that this is the principle of the universe, <laughs> that the human beings were created in a kind of massive joke. They experience all these incredible things through their lives, which they have to deal with philosophically and share in the joke. Because if you don't share in the joke, it's not going to be nice. And so a lot of his songs and a lot of his perceptions were like that. Say, he decided he's going to help somebody. And this person became very powerful. And the next thing, Sipo is out in the cold. The song Wangi Zonda is about that. The guy actually ended up hating me. How did this happen where I landed up equipping somebody with such an ugly heart who was destitute? When I raised him up, his progress actually armed his heart to hate me. And then, of course, there's a smile on his face. He's saying, what does this mean? Does this mean that you mustn't help? Or does it mean that there's a way that you should help? which can prevent this from happening, you know, all those kinds of things. So it's a radical obsession. Oh, 
from Juluka's fifth album, which is entirely in Zulu. And the title is... Musa Okungilandela. The title means Don't Follow Me. I'm also lost. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, Johnny's friendship with Sipo had many levels. One of them was their duo guitar playing. When we first met Johnny, he broke down Zulu guitar playing for us. Zulu guitar basically works on playing every pulse in the beat. Like that. Then that's played with a thumb. And it not only plays the bass line, but it also plays a melody. Then you would add in what what the forefinger hears, as they say. What does the forefinger hear against that pattern? And the forefinger hears. Like that. Let's see an early track from the days when Johnny and Sipo performed as a duo. Here is Sipo on guitar and Johnny on concertina with Istimella. That's a song about the train transporting migrant workers to and from the mines. Sipom Chunu performing in Köln, Cologne, Germany in 1981. And by that time, these guys have been a duo for years. We got together about 1969-70 and the cultural segregation at that point in time wouldn't allow whites or blacks to play in any public area, town halls or public halls or venues. So we played private venues. We did shows at the university. We gave demonstrations of Zulu guitar, sort of ethnomusicological things, but we also played street music and competed in the street music tradition around all the migrant labor hostels. On a Saturday and a Sunday, all the different groupings of street musicians would get together and informally compete in the street. There's no, you didn't win a prize, you won fame. Uh, basically, that so-and-so beat so-and-so, and you know, did you hear his latest song about being chased by the police for a pass offense, and this guy's running through people's homes and jumping, you know, over garden walls, this contingency of police after him. So you become well-known for your ability to describe very, very colorfully and sing with great melodies 
and portray with passion your predicament as a migrant worker and share that with the people around you. You heard Johnny mention pass laws. Well, during these years, he himself was often arrested and paid many fines for being in places whites were not allowed to be. And once Juluka began recording and performing as a band, the pressures increased, with concerts closed down by the police. There were also problems with the media. Juluka had it first hit with a song called Was A Friday, but they couldn't get airplay. We encountered for the first time the problems of the state media. There was a lot of negative feelings by the Zulu programming people towards me in particular, because I was white. I was told that Zulus found it insulting that the white man should sing in their language to them. And so we were not played on the air, but Was A Friday became a street hit. We sold about 25,000 singles, which is a gold record in South Africa. <laughs> It was a was a Friday, my darling. Was a Friday, um seven so pogine. Was a was a Friday, my sweetie. Was a Friday, ilambaling pogine when I. All right, was a Friday, a Zulu pop celebration of a worker's weekly payday. With Juluka, Johnny began to introduce his own cultural elements, and the band's next big hit was a blend of Zulu war chanting and English balladry. Impi, which is the name of a Zulu army regiment, was the lead track on Juluka's second album, African Litany. Impi.
South African history has always been presented from the white man's perspective. So part of African litany was a rewriting of history from a black perspective. This song, Impi, was about the Battle of Isandwana. In 1879, Queen Victoria sent two British battalions to crush the Zulu Kingdom. The Zulu were eventually defeated, but in two battles, three battles, they defeated the British. And the most significant was the Battle of Isandwana. Isandwana was a mountain, and at this particular mountain, an entire battalion of British troops was wiped out. The regiments that were involved in this particular action were the Goba Makosi, the Benders of Kings, and the Mabubesi, the Lions. And the song, Impi, was a tribute to the Lions. The chorus went MP or Nancy MP, the war is coming. But who will dare to touch the lions? Now, it became a very popular chant in the townships because although it was written from a historical point of view, it could mean the war is coming now or it's still coming. So it had a, a very strong political connotation to it. Pretty soon, the band started to win international attention, especially with the 1984 album Scatterlings. The title track would become an anthem for Johnny, a song that celebrates humanity's origins in Africa, in the dust of old Dubai, as he put it. And we are of Africa. recorded six albums between 1980 and 1985, at which point Sipo decided to call it quits. He's had enough of touring, of life on the road. He has five wives and 11 children, a massive homestead, many cattle. Every time he comes back home, cattle have been stolen, there's problems, etc., etc., and he just feels that he's being torn in two. Whenever we met Johnny, we always asked about Sipo. For instance, in 1993... You know, he's got his six wives, he's got his 19 kids. He's got a lot of problems on that level, but uh, he's basically seeing his way clear. Ooh la la, busy fellow, eh? Uh, and then again in 1996, when Johnny and Sipo briefly joined forces again to record a sixth Juluka album called Crocodile Love. Sipo comes up to my place every three months, sleeps over for a week or three days or five days, whatever it is. He gets away. He's got 29 kids and eight wives, and he's got a huge homestead that he has to run. Phew! Clearly, Sipo's lifestyle was a poor fit with a touring music career. But let's go back to 1985, when Juluka officially ended. Johnny fell into a deep depression. He thought about going back to academia, but his guitar kept calling him to write songs. In 1987, he formed a new band. I called him Savuga, which means we have risen or we have awakened. We had a debut concert at the Market Theatre in Johannesburg, which we played for five weeks, uh, eight shows a week, and I was very happy on our debut album. We opened up such a large musical spectrum for us to experiment with, which I felt was one of the weaknesses in Juluka towards the end. We were narrowed down to such a Zulu guitar oriented format. And so the International Third World Child album is a compilation of all the different kinds of music that we make. It wasn't just Zulu guitar. There was African funk in it. There was Afro rock in it, reggae in it, traditional Zulu chanting, pentatonic harmonies, 
We are a serious band. We are a life-affirming band. We are a crossover band. We believe that the music of the future is fusion music because through cultural segregation and apartheid, we have kept all the different music forms very strictly apart from one another through the radio, the media, etc. And what's happening now is that with musicians now ignoring those strictures and actually mixing music, mixing lyrics, singing in Zulu and English or singing in, in whatever language they want to, certain ground is being covered. I listen to, say, traditional Zulu programs, Sutu programs, on the radio and I hear what is happening and I say, hey, that works. That's a very clever thing that's happened there. Uh, or that was a very brave attempt, but that doesn't work. Unfortunately, the music industry itself, it's only now slowly starting to realize that this is where the long-term future of South Africa will be. actually starts from the acceptance of the fact that we have Hindu people, Muslim people, Jewish people, we have Indians, we have Coloreds, we have Malayan, we have 10 to 12 different tribal groupings in South Africa, we have all the different European ethnic groups represented here. It's a polyglot society. We are searching for a national identity. That national identity has got to come at a cultural level. However, cultural segregation has made sure that the only national identity that's come out has been a tribal one or a white supremacist one. So are you going to identify one form and say, well, this is the form that's going to represent South Africa? I don't think you can. All these different forms have got to compete equally. And out of that will naturally, spontaneously, must come a, a music which the people will recognize. They are the ones who will say, that's great. from the second Savuka album, Shadow Man. In the fading years of apartheid, as South Africans were waiting for a new dawn, Johnny was intensely focused on songwriting, as if the act itself represented a kind of key to the future. One of the criticisms given to me by uh, the first independent record company that we signed to after Scatterlings, he said, your songs are too complex. You're trying to do too much in them. There's so much happening. It becomes too busy. You're trying too hard. And Johnny himself had to admit this critic had a point. The songs did tend to be multi-leveled. God has to spend months on them. 
like double on time where the metaphors, the images, if you got to the end of the song, they actually referred back it's like a snake eating its tail to the beginning of the song, all those kinds of clever things which are absolutely lost on my audiences and on people just bought the record because they could hum the tune. between simplicity and complexity is something Johnny wrestled with right through his last studio album in 2017. But the truth is, Johnny's fans love the deep thought he put into songwriting. Take a song that almost feels ironic now that he's left us. It's called Too Early for the Sky. I'm Too Early for the Sky is basically about um, having survived a, a near-death accident. It happened to Ray Piri, it happened to Sipo Mkunu, it happened to Dudu. It comes from a, a, a traditional Umzansi dance song. Oh halala, oh halala, ibonusu halala, oh halalo. I use that as a chant in the middle of the song. I play Zulu guitar in the verse. We have the chant as a kind of a bridge, and the chorus goes into kind of a jazz soul mbakanga, where I sing, I'm too early for the sky. And the, the female singers answer, too early for the sky, but they sing Mbakanga harmonies, like mm -hmm. Mahatela Queenswood. They are thirds, but it's which thirds you choose to sing, and also the emphasis, we call it bombing, when you bomb the word. You sneak up behind it, you know, and you kind of knock it on the head. Then we come to the next mixture, which comes from my early days of traditional Ishameni dancing. There was a protest song which we used to sing, I've got to a point in my life where I'm wishing for deliverance. Oh my Lord, you will come and take me away. But I changed the lyrics. Which means, oh my Lord, you have saved my life.
Danny Clegg and Sevoka with a beautiful song, Too Early for the Sky, as we remember the life of a giant in South African music. Coming up, more with Sevoka and the Johnny Clegg Band. Visit afropop.org for Johnny Clegg photo essay, an extended edit of this program, and the full transcript of our last interview together. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX. Johnny was recording in Los Angeles with Savuka when he got word that his friend and mentor, David Webster, had been assassinated outside his Johannesburg home. Webster was an anthropologist and activist, and his death was devastating for Johnny. One morning, he looked into the smiling face of his 11-month-old son, Jesse, and said, If only I could explain what a cruel, crazy world you've been born into. That moment of sadness, mixed with joy, inspired the title song for Savuka's third album, Cruel, Crazy, Beautiful World. You got to watch with the crocodile in a river. You got to swim with the sharks in a sea. You got to live with the crooked politician. Trust those things that you can never see. South Africa on the 22nd of January 1990 to begin a nine-month world tour, the biggest tour that we'd done. And two weeks later, Mandela was released while we were in Rome. And we were euphoric, you know, we thought, well, end of the year, we're going to have an interim government, you know, this whole thing's going to start falling into place now. And the exact opposite happened. And by the time I got home, we were virtually on a stage of civil war. As you know, I'm a member of three Zulu clans. I have a very strong tie to the rural Zulu community who form the base or support of the Inkata Zulu nationalist movement. And then you know, I live in the city, I live in Johannesburg, and I have a lot of Zulu friends who are urban and who are westernized and who are you know, either members of the ANC or support the ANC. And so I found that my community, the black community that I grew up in and work with and my buddies were split. And some of the tribal people were doing things which I just couldn't deal with, you know. They were arming themselves up, they were going out into the townships, they were attacking people, and they were doing this to preempt attacks on them, which were non-existent. What happened is that some third force arrived at the various migrant labor hostels and left 
pamphlets in Zulu saying that the ANC, a Tosa-based movement, which is what the pamphlet was saying. The ANC is a Tosa-based movement and they are trying to get the Zulu out of the hostel so they can bring up Tosa migrant workers to take over the Zulu jobs because the economy is down and the Zulus must fight to keep the hostels and fight to keep their economic niche. So it's nothing to do with politics. It had to do with a perception that their hostels were going to be taken over. were indeed a crazy time in South Africa. The country was rife with right-wing destabilization campaigns, ethnic flare-ups and mistrust all around. Instead of coming together, as the Rainbow Nation Johnny and his musicians had envisioned, there was division and violence. The Zulu thing was being manipulated, it was being fostered. The South African police had given one million rand to the Inkata Freedom Party. They'd given 250,000 rand to the Inkata Trade Union, which was supposed to be the one against the ANC's aligned trade union. You know, it was like the South African government saw themselves as balancing out the various black political forces. I lost one or two friends, and I didn't want to lose them for this reason. You know, these are guys I'd known 15 years, you know, 20 years. So everybody was going through this thing. And this is the reality of social change, political change. This is what happens. And I don't think anybody in the country was psychologically or emotionally equipped to deal with that. I didn't know what to write about. It took me two years to actually sit down and write because I, I felt paralyzed. I decided to write an album about change. If you're going to change, it's a transaction. She's saying, I'm going to change this attitude. I'm going to change this belief. But what you're going to get is not guaranteed. That's the principle of change. It's tough. You've got to give up something for the potential of something coming. So the flagship song of the album was tough enough. Are you tough enough? Can you take the pain? Can you take the change? Can you move? Can you make the transaction? Enough from Johnny Clegg and Savuka's fourth and final album, Heat, Dust and Dreams. Once again, the band recorded in Los Angeles, where Johnny's longtime champion and producer, Hilton Rosenthal, was based. And once again, Johnny received bad news from home during the session. Dudu Zulu, his dance partner in Juluka and Savuka, had been shot dead in his village. 
a victim of a turf war between rival taxi companies. The terrible thing is a deja vu for me because in 1989, on May the 1st, David Webster was shot, you know, and I couldn't believe this. It was like a jinx. And uh, I think I went into a time of mourning and I didn't know it was mourning. It was, it's a, a weird thing. I woke up one day and I realized that I'd actually been unable to express my grief. I wept like a baby at the uh, burial, but there were other issues which I didn't take account of. And that was, you know, I met the guy in 1977. We worked with Juluka. A part of me died. You know, this guy, when we danced together, when he moved, I could see in the corner of my eye if he was going to make a mistake and I could adjust immediately. We could read each other. Dudu's death inspired one of Johnny's most powerful songs, The Crossing. That song is the most real song I ever wrote. This is an historic life event that's, you know, marked me and scarred me and I bear those wounds. It's a bitter fruit for me, man, because this guy had no education. He was a tribesman who had grown, been to Paris, London, New York, Rome, traveled the world, and he had made it. It didn't mess up his head. And he was a pivotal member in the band. He used to raise issues that everybody was afraid of talking about, you know. The kind of band I've got, it's different cultures, different races, different musical inputs. There's often misunderstandings, miscommunications regularly, and he pick it up. doesn't accept the death. It sees people take the body, it sees the consternation around the body, it sees people crying and this drama unfolding, and it says, I'm dreaming. This is a dream. Dude had about like a thousand people at his funeral from all over. People see the body and the spirit is on the verge of going mad. It's waiting to be woken up. And then it wanders, it starts to wander around and it's agitated and it sees its friends eating meat and it feels hungry. It wants to eat and it can't eat. When he was buried, the people stood in the cattle kraal and said, Dudu, you are dead. You must start making your way home. Now the spirit wanders for about a year. And then on the day that it was buried, it's brought back with a ritual. And at that point, the spirit is sufficiently pounded by the fact that it's got to leave this plane, that it accepts coming home. This is a very moving part of the ceremony because the oldest member of the clan stands there in the middle of the crowd and he says, you know, make way, 
talks to the ancestors, to the lineage. He names them all, real people, you know. He names them and he says, make way, dude is coming. And he says, I know you, so and so, old lady, I know you have an ugly heart and you, you know, you, you're going to be stingy. Give him a good place, you know. And then, you know, I'm also on my way, so be prepared, I'm coming too, you know. It's a bit of humor in it. And he's incorporated into the ancestral hierarchy. That period between the death and the incorporation is called the crossing. We said at the start of this show that Johnny was a witness to history and he put that into another signature song that traverses styles and genres. It's called Your Time Will Come. I saw the Berlin Wall fall and I saw Mandela walk free and I saw a dream whose time is gone change my history. I saw the Berlin Wall fall And I saw Mandela walk free And I saw a dream whose time has come So keep on dreaming In 1997, we met Johnny at New York's Central Park Summer Stage for a rare concert with a reunited Juluka. He had become estranged from contentious Zulu politics and focused his efforts more locally in Johannesburg. He had all sorts of new initiatives supporting youth empowerment, getting involved with radio, MTV South Africa, even live music promotion. Johnny spoke of a rapidly changing music scene now that young South Africans had open access to the outside world. There's a new young musical culture which is very black R&B hip hop orientated with uh, township influences. Uh, you know South Africa was was boycotted culturally for so many years now that young people want to take their place in the emerging global youth culture so they They're actually going to go out, we believe, for the next five years and just emulate world forms. And then they're going to come home and they're going to find that constant thread that's been going through South African music forever. And I think that that's when um, we'll meet with them. Because I think we, what we're doing now with, with our rhythms, rhythmically, we, uh, we are crossing over and also providing a different window to the world. But we're saying the window must come from your own dynamic.
By this time, Johnny had performed at Nelson Mandela's inauguration, where he sang another of his iconic songs. Asim Bonanga celebrates the heroes of South Africa's long march to freedom. First millennium began, Johnny started a new phase of his career. With Juluka and Savuka in the rearview mirror, he formed the Johnny Clegg Band, which would release three studio albums and tour widely, often with his son Jesse, now a singer-songwriter in his own right, opening the show. In 2017, the last time we spoke with Johnny, he knew he was dying of cancer and had embarked on a global farewell tour. I was diagnosed with cancer in uh, 2015. I had an operation. I went into chemo for six months. I then went on tour in 2015. I did a two-month tour of American Canada. And then it flared up again and I had to go back into chemo in August of last year and I came out in February this year and I'm in remission. So I just spoke to my management and said, look, you know, I don't know, this is like a bit of a ping pong up and down situation. So I would rather, while I'm still strong and fit enough, basically wrap up my affairs and hang up my boots, but do a, a world tour. At this sensitive moment, we asked Johnny, what was the highlight of his career? So many bands, so many tours, the Mandela inauguration, you can check his Wikipedia page for a long list of awards and honorary degrees. But no, it was none of those things. Without hesitation, Johnny took us back to the earliest days of his adventure, when he met a Zulu guitar player outside that shop in Johannesburg. When I met Charlie Mzila in 1967, I was 14 years old. I asked him to teach me and it was my great big fantastic adventure as a young boy being taken by him into the migrant labor hostels around Johannesburg, getting into trouble, ducking and diving from the police. It wasn't a political act. You know, I was very much in love with the music and with the culture and the robust resilience of the Zulu migrant laborers who were treated so badly and with such disdain by the authorities. It was a tough existence and these Zulu warriors just, they fought their way through this and they had such a resilience and I admired that deeply. And then, of course, when I discovered Zulu war dancing, that was my conversion. That was my, my realization that these people knew something about being a man. These traditional rural men, warriors, their bodies were wired and coded to carry these messages of masculinity and warrior values, which my culture didn't have. And I was deeply desirous of being able to speak that language the way they did physically in the dance. And so you kick your leg high up into the air and you stamp the ground. That's delivering a blow to an enemy or receiving a blow 
and then you have a comeback, you know, how would you respond to receiving a blow? But all of this is done within an aesthetic of choosing where to place each blow within the rhythm of the clapping hands or the drums. Two fast ones, two medium ones, one on the offbeat, one on the onbeat. As you did this little psychodrama that you were creating in front of everybody, making it up, you know. So it's huge pressure on you. And you're competing with another young man who's making the similar claims and statements, you know, in front of the same audience. I just found that amazing. As in most of our conversations, Johnny gave us an update on his friend and the Juluka collaborator, Sipom Chunu. When Johnny asked Sipo to join him in some of his final concerts in South Africa, Sipo had a hard time believing that anyone would want to hear those old Johnny and Sipo street songs. And he was very skeptical. He walked on stage and announced his name every night, standing ovation. He was just blown away. It was amazing. It was very, very special, intimate moments. So he's well, he has 45 kids. Uh, nine wives, lots of cattle, living the dream, <laughs> the Zulu dream. in South Africa, but we wondered, did he fear for the lives his two sons would face? I don't fear for my children, but I think they will have a tougher time of it, and maybe they will be better people, and maybe this is part of the ebbing and flowing of the human psyche. Societies go through a form of, of cultural and political amnesia. The third generation down no longer knows what its real true political inheritance is, what its true cultural, what its true social inheritance is. They just born into the situation. We were lucky. It was, a, again, a random event. I was born in that time and I used my time the best I could. We end with the song that so often closed Johnny's concerts, Bella, a song of love and redemption.
Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and PRX member stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Hey, visit afropop.org for much more on Johnny Clegg, including an extended edit of this program. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Bardo. Sean produces the program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Banning Air. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, including radio programs and our Afropop close-up podcast series. Before we go, we note another sad passing in the world of South African music. Joseph Shabalala was the founder of Ladysmith Black Mombazo. After his participation on Paul Simon's Graceland album and tour, Joseph's beautiful voice filled the great performance halls of the world. And we are happy to report that his young relatives and friends are carrying on as Ladysmith rides on into the 21st century. Join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer is Michael Jones. This program was mixed at Studio 44 in Brooklyn by Zubin Hansler. Additional engineering by Greg Hartman. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Mukwai Wabe Siyolwe. And I'm Georges Collinet.